0: Welcome. This is Garth, in the lost cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts. We're sealed up nice and tight against the winter snow, sitting next to a roaring fire. Come and stay with us as we tell the tale of a vanished community that may have disappeared in its quest for a mythical monster. Were the citizens eaten by this monster? We'll try and find out and not get consumed ourselves we're also going to sift through various telegrams and letters we have received from people who have managed to tune this broadcast in on their Zenith 37A combination radio and phonograph. This is Lost Massachusetts. So we're in uh, New Marlborough, Massachusetts—not Marlborough, Massachusetts, but New Marlborough, completely different, completely different part of the state—and just parked in a, a dirt parking lot that's on kind of a kind of a sharp slope. It is a uh, it is a chilly January day. The woods that we're about to walk into are covered in snow, but it is a very pleasant. Day with a bright sunshine, and uh, just passed through a uh, a gate, and I'm walking up a very old road. That is the sound of an icy waterfall. Very few had seen the monster and survived. It lived in the deep woods and struck fear in the hearts of villagers. Most knew the beast from its horrible sound. The sound of dozens of dogs, foxes, wolves, or other wild animals fighting or mating. No one could be sure. The only thing they could be sure of was if you heard that sound, you needed to run brave warriors who fought the creature did know what it looked like, and it had the most bizarre description. The strange creature has the head and neck of a serpent, the body of a leopard, the haunches of a lion, and the feet of a deer. Where had this strange creature come from? The story was that the monster was the result of an illicit affair between a brother and a sister that was arranged for by the devil himself. The devil manipulated the very gestation of the offspring. Now the sin and shame was manifested into a hideous thing that terrorized the countryside. This was the questing beast, and a distant remote village in western Mass is named for this elusive monster. Welcome to Questing Massachusetts. That was the Questing Beast, the strange mythical creature from Arthurian legend for which Questing Massachusetts is named. Sadly, there is no real monster in the questing woods that I am aware of. It was named by Jane Lehman, a late resident of the property. As much as I enjoy mythical tales and stories of weird monsters, I have to take extreme logical exception with the description of the questing beast. Truly think about this description. It had the head of a giant snake. Its body was a mix of a lion and leopard, but it had the feet of a deer. Something like that wouldn't be able to stand up, let alone walk. I wouldn't worry too much about a monster like that. So this creature was written about in various cycles of stories about the triumphs and tragedies of King Arthur and his knights. It has nothing to do with any actual legendary monsters of New England. Jane Lehman was inspired by these stories and the somewhat dreamlike landscape of the area that might make one think they were in medieval Europe. As interesting as this subject might be, this isn't a podcast about romantic Renaissance literature. That's my other podcast. It's called A Jerk from Massachusetts Discusses La Mort d'Arthur. I'm kidding. There is no podcast like that, at least not by me. So why go through this exercise? We want to provide some background to all of these locations. The name Questing was a very late name for this place. Before the 1970s, it went through many names as well as different populations. The varied groups that lived here over the centuries, who they were and what happened to them, can be just as mysterious as the fanciful name of Questing. But before we get into that history, let's continue our hike through the property to see what else we can find. So we got to the end of the uphill road through the woods and now we are in a big, open, cleared field. And we're gonna be looking for some landmarks, some uh, signs of earlier habitation. And I can already see that along the edge of this cleared field there does seem to be the remnants of a stone wall which has sort of fallen into disrepair. Just off of the uh, the main open field and on a side path in the uh, in the far corner I'm looking for possibly cellar holes and other remnants, and I think that maybe there is a. I'm standing on a low rock wall that may have been a barrier of some kind, and so my trained eye has uh, found what at first looks like just a jumble of rocks is actually a depression here, where their cellar used to be, and there are rocks strewn all around it. So just a little bit off of the main clearing, farm clearing, uh, up the trail, there is a massive rock wall, really, really long, that actually has a, a joint, a second um, extension T-shape running off of it, and uh, following the trail, and there's a break in the wall, and my phone is acting funny, and it's probably actually too cold for my phone. It's getting hard to record and take pictures. So now we've got a look at the property. We've wandered around a bit and found some of the remnants that still can be seen. And we uh, explained a little bit about the origins of the name Questing. But we need to dive in more into the history to really understand the origins of this place and what kind of things have happened here over the years. This is a trustees property. Trustees are the reservations and they have many properties all around Massachusetts. And they actually do a great job at maintaining them. And they have their own posted history, very brief posted history of the site that is sort of uh, dense, in it's information about what's happened over several centuries there but sparse on real details that we can dig into and you'll also find if you're trying to get information on your own about some of these uh, occurrences and people who lived in questing at different times you're going to find basically a cut and paste of the information that is on the trustee's website. You'll go to to multiple different websites about lost towns or curious places uh, in New England, and you're basically just gonna find the same information. But we're gonna start here, and then we're going to drill down and branch out. So this is the property history by the trustees itself. For more than half a century, this country retreat named Questing by its owners was the cherished summer home of Dr. Robert Lehman and until her her passing in 1978, his wife, Jane Frazier Lehman. Native Americans passed through and may have camped at the property. The new Marlboro proprietor's records indicate that the first fort to store gunpowder built by settlers was placed at the highest point of the reservation. The first non-Native American children, the Brookings twins, born in New Barbara were born at this fort. The land was entirely cleared of most of its trees during subsequent settlement. In the 1880s two brothers William and Jerome Leffingwell farmed his property, however both were killed in farming accidents. The family emigrated to the Midwest. A series of owners left the farmstead abandoned and finally out of business in the early 1900s when most of the current trees first began to grow. Ruins of the old Leffingwell farm farmstead house and barn can be seen and found on the reservation. Robert Lehman, was a noted pharmacologist and developer of important drugs for the treatment of heart failure, glaucoma, and other diseases. He was introduced to the New Marlboro by his wife Jane, a lifelong resident devoted to country life. The Lehmans pursued their passionate hobbies in science and botany, photography, music, and literature. The name Questing originates from a mythical beast called the Questing in the King Arthur tales. A favorite of Mrs. Lehman. Frida and Sydney Schreiber, lifetime friends of the Lehman's, wrote, the Lehman's quest was to restore life to the dormant tumble-down farmhouse they purchased more than 50 years ago, which they did, personally over many years. Part of the quest also was to purchase land surrounding the house as it became available to keep it in the wild. After serious reflection, Robert Lehman chose the trustees of reservation to help him do that. And he bequeathed it to uh, the trustees in 1996. So what do we get generally from that? So it starts with a very vague and almost dismissive uh, presence by Native Americans claiming that they were just passing through. And there's more to that story that I will get into. And then we have the creation of a fort. Uh, population growth out of that fort. Farms appearing around the fort. Farms growing and then retracting. People disappearing from the area. And then the um, the Lehman's coming in and taking over and trying to restore the property. And... If you take any of those details that were in the description and you conduct a search, a basic search, for any of the particular people mentioned, you're going to be led back to the same small number of web pages that contain cut and pastes of this information. So getting at the roots of some of what is mentioned here takes a little bit more research. First, the lack of detail about prior native occupation is almost unforgivable since there is a considerable amount of information about the natives who lived here and what happened to them. The book, A History of New Marlborough, 1735 to 1944, by Hadley Turner, published in 1944, covers the period before European settlers arrived in this portion of Massachusetts, and I will link to the book in the show notes. According to Hadley's book, the region was referred to as Scotty Hook. I'm going to have to keep researching that name and its meaning for a future episode. As an interesting side note, this region of Massachusetts is outside of the areas of Algonquin peoples that are linked by similar languages, the Nimpuck, the Wampanoag, Nasset, and Pocamatook. This area along the New York border that extends into Connecticut and is generally called the Housatonic, which apparently means over the mountains, and that makes perfect sense if you've ever seen it. There were various groups of Mohicans in this area who were being quote unquote reorganized into new towns where they could be converted to Christianity and learn Western customs. These are all complex topics, that will be in dedicated episodes later. At this time, around 1735, in the pre-revolutionary era, the Mass General Court decreed the creation of four new settlements in Western Mass. The land was purchased from Chief Umpachni, with many of the native families moving to other areas. These land purchases have a number of controversies that cut in different directions, and I detail some of them uh, in episode 7 about the re- real Salem, and I'll continue to bring them up as it is a constant theme in the early history. Before it was called Questing, and even before it was called New Marlborough, it had the distinction of being called Number Two. Before being named, these land grants just had a number assigned to them. Turingham was number one, Sandsfield was number three, and Beckett was number four. That was 1737. New Marlborough didn't get a name until 1759. I've seen many maps of Massachusetts well into the 19th century with various swaths of mysterious territory referred to only by numbers. So what was the importance of these four towns? And why was a fort and gunpowder store built in the questing area? The reason was the oncoming French and Indian War, or Nine Years' War, between England and France. The goal was to create a road from Boston to Albany with settlements along this road as a bulwark against invasion from Canada by the French, which would separate the British and Dutch colonies and provide the French with a southern seaport in Connecticut. The fort was apparently not an official military facility. It does not appear to have a name, and I was unable to find any mention of it in military archives. The twins were apparently the children of Philip Brookins and Sarah Keyes. They had 11 children, and it's difficult to tell from the record which ones were the twins, because several brothers do not have specific birth years attached to them. It was around 1734 the family settled there. It is a key detail since the Brookins was uh, from Marlborough, Mass, in eastern Mass, and the settlers from that area gave their, that name to this location. The Leffingwell family was a prominent group of farmers in the area. They originally came from Norwich, Connecticut, which was founded by Thomas Leffingwell. And the problem with this point in the story is that there are so many Leffingwells and not enough information about causes of death among them from 100 years ago. That brings us to the mysterious benefactors of questing, Robert and Jane Lehman. You would think that it would be easy to track down a supposed noted pharmacologist and inventor, But there are a lot of problems associated with this. One is that Robert Lehman is also the name of one of the founders of Lehman Brothers. Robert Lehman also seems to be a common name for various doctors in the profession. So tracking down the specific Robert Lehman uh, took a little bit of effort. But it was worth it because Robert Alonzo Lehman was an interesting character. He was born in Camden, New Jersey, and they actually only spent their summers in questing. They lived in New York. So, Dr. Lehman taught chemistry at New York University, and he invented drugs that were used in eye surgery. And he was also a, a founder of Campbell Pharmaceuticals, that he actually sold his portion in. He was elected as a fellow of the New York Academy of Medicine in 1993. But what's more interesting, even, was his collection and interest in a various number of topics. He collected musical instruments in particular, which he donated over the years to uh, different locations, including an organ which he uh, donated to Trinity Church in Lime Rock, Connecticut. And, uh, he was really interested, he was you know, what you would call a renaissance man, a polymath. He was interested in different scientific endeavors, botanical research, and had a membership in a number of organizations. He was also a trustee in the Brooklyn Botanical Garden, and he was secretary of the American Musical Instruments Society. The doctor passed away in 1996 of Parkinson's disease, and the property was bequeathed to the trustees of reservation. So in passing, uh, we've learned quite a bit about the winding road of history of this property and abandoned settlement. And one thing that I've learned along the way is I can't say Marlboro Marlboro Marlboro. Marlboro. I've mispronounced it so many times In the process of making this And now it's stuck in my head But That is the history Of questing Directions to Questing, Massachusetts. Questing is in New Marlborough, Mass. The closest highways are the Mass Pike, which is Interstate 90 for non locals, and Interstate Route 7. The road to Questing is off of Route 183. From the Mass Pike or Route 20, take Route 8 south, then Route 57 west to 183. Look for New Marlborough Road drive slowly so you don't miss the signs for questing. The parking lot is small, probably holds about 10 cars at most. The area is also called Leffingwell Hill. You'll walk uphill from the parking lot until you reach an open field. On the opposite side of the field, there is a loop trail through the forest that will take you past the various ruins and old stone walls. There is dog walking and seasonal hunting, but mountain bikes and snowmobiles are not permitted. This is a relatively easy walk or hike. It will be buggy in the summer, and check yourself for ticks after your hike. Look for links to maps in the show notes and pictures on Instagram at Lost Massachusetts. Enjoy your questing. Welcome! This is Garth, in the lost cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts. We're sealed up nice and tight against the winter snow, sitting next to a roaring fire. Come and stay with us as we tell the tale of a vanished community that may have disappeared in its quest for a mythical monster. Were the citizens eaten by this monster? We'll try and find out and not get consumed ourselves. We're also going to sift through various telegrams and letters we have received from people who have managed to tune this broadcast in on their Zenith 37A combination radio and phonograph. This is Lost Massachusetts. if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too. also go to lost massachusetts at uh, instagram for photos and other details we will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show you might hear um, your own comment that's fun